Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio and ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Jared taking care of us behind the glass. And uh, wow, it's another evening of potential winter weather. I, we can't escape it, Glenn. We can't, I know. It's, it is very unique and interesting, but I, the, here's what I want though. I need, I need like multiple days of cold so we can get some of these ponds to freeze over and we can get some pond hockey going. That's what there I truly you need. Go. I, would come, I would come watch. I don't really trust myself to get out. You would. There, I, I know how <laughs> blue your lips turn when the air conditioning's too cold. I know, Justin, I but I've changed. I haven't changed at all. I was about um, to say, <laughs> okay. I'll be shivering in about fifteen minutes. But yeah, when it's when it's bitter cold, I need like snow or I need something pretty to look at. I don't like it just to be bitter cold. Right. Because it's for something. some reason, now this is going to sound insane. I don't know if I've said this out loud to anyone ever, oh. but when it's when there's snow on the ground, I can go walk all around my neighborhood, and I do. I'll tromp through seven inches and not feel that cold. Now, I could go wear the same outfit when it's not snowy, and I'm, like, very dramatic, and I'm like, it's too cold. So I think I'm so distracted by the snow that I don't <laughs> maybe don't feel as cold because it should feel more cold in the snow, but in my brain and my body it doesn't it gives you the warm fuzzies inside it and that's, does. that's that's enough it. to keep you warm that's enough to keep me warm that's it that's wow. the answer it's, it's a mind game is what thanks it is. dr bradford that'll, that'll be one nickel <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh boy i don't care cash <laughs> <laughs> all right well from last week to this week it has been an interesting little swing for the national predators things have changed <laughs> well a couple things i mean i do have some jewelry on on a certain finger he now. looks very married today. <laughs> it was the first thing I noticed when I walked in the door. Very. How, how look, does one look very married? You look married? like a husband now. Because I am. I even <laughs> saw that before I saw your ring, which I absolutely love. Oh, thank you. That is like one of the best male rings I've ever seen. Should I tell the listeners what it is? You should. Okay, and I, I hope I'm, you've tweeted out a picture. I will. Event, I want to I wait for oh, the professional pictures. Oh, you want to wait for pictures. the pictures. That yeah, they're really sense. good yep. pictures. But it is a handcrafted ring made out of a barrel from Woodford Reserve. And it's pretty. And it's like manly, but it's pretty. Oh, yeah. No, it it's is, it is gorgeous. Yeah. Handcrafted comes with a certificate of authenticity. Uh, Alex did a fantastic job. And she went a little bit off from what I said I kind of wanted. Mm-hmm. And she did an incredible job picking this out because it is so cool because there's a story to tell with it. Like, this yeah. is made from Woodford Reserve Whiskey Barrel. And it suits you well. Like, Thank it you. looks like a Justin ring. Thank you. So, yeah. Thank you. I like it. I'm getting used to it, though. Driving's been a little interesting. Just oh, with yeah. one hand on the steering wheel. You fiddle with a lot? F- oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> All the time. All right. But the Nashville Predators, it's, uh, hmm. I mean, they're still good. Here, well, let me start off with that. Yep. There's no need to panic by any means. There are ebbs and flows in every single season. They've just been flowing <laughs> pretty well since December. Yep. And they've hit a little hiccup. Right here, and it's not an awful hiccup. It depends on how long this type of thing lasts, but only one point in their past few games. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of starting with that loss to Buffalo last week, but it what a huge win over Colorado in mm-hmm. overtime. But that loss to Buffalo, which seemed like a trap game of sorts, then an overtime loss to Boston, at least they got a point there, and then St. Louis, and then Vancouver, back to backs there as well. And they have two more home games this month. So it's it's been interesting for them to be in a four-game, quotes losing streak. Yeah. I know they got a point out of there. But a four-game losing streak after a seven-game yeah. back-to-back losses and a five-game win streak to have a four-game losing streak. It, that is that is roller coastering right there. It is, but it's almost expected, not just from the Predators, right. but from 
any team. I mean, it's it's never going to happen. You're never going to have a solid season where you don't have a losing streak. Right. No team is going to have that. No team that's ever won the Stanley Cup has had that. Um, but I do, I do always. I mean, it's it's a fan base thing. Every fan base is going to do this. You're, you get used to the flow. You said the ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. People get used to the flow. They love the results of the flow. And then the second that it kind of derails just a little bit, which is normal, people start hitting the button. And I do like to see people – I like to see people hit the button after that first loss oh after gosh, the yeah. winning streak. Um, but John Hines said it best la- after last night's game. He said the message is still the same. He said win, lose, good streak, tough streak. It's about what you can control – and in those moments, in those games, again, like against Vancouver, they did not control the things they needed to control. And the outcome is going to be that. You don't get the points. You don't get the win. So the message is still the same. I don't think – I mean, I haven't seen any worry from the Predators players thinking that, oh, gosh, we're off, we're <laughs> off track. We're so far off, off the rails now. But – so, I mean, I think that it's just – it's expected. It's This is going to happen, and it's how you rebound from that. And I don't have any doubt that this team has the capability to rebound from that. Oh, for sure. And it's just funny to see the, the comments of, you know, I was – John Hines had me, you know. He, oh, I wonder boy. if he had me fooled, and, <laughs> and now he, he better get this team's act together. I'm going to want him see, fired those again. Are, those are my like, favorites. Let, yeah, those are on. my favorites. Let's evaluate at the end of the season because he's not going anywhere – during this season. So let's yeah. see what happens at the end of the season, whether it's in May or June. Because if you're <laughs> if you are any if you're well, any team and you're gonna fire a head coach after a couple of losses, <laughs> nobody's when ever they've gonna been have doing a job. well. <laughs> nobody's ever gonna have a job. Exactly. When they've been doing well the way the way they have been. And so let's look at a couple things here. And it's that the the Preds have actually started off well in a couple of these games, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's see, against St. Louis, they had a 2-0 lead, and then they allowed four unanswered goals. Mm-hmm. That is not a way to, to win games there, especially a divisional opponent. Then yep. a Western Conference opponent, they had a one nothing lead. Now, that's not as much, but still, they scored first as Philip Tomasino, mm-hmm. uh, and it was on the power play, and then they allowed three unanswered against Vancouver. And obviously, what we've known, too, is sometimes pe- – Teams get into penalty trouble, and they allowed a power play goal uh, yep. against uh, Vancouver. Uh, they allowed power play goal uh, against St. Louis. It wasn't necessarily put them out of it, but that was the second goal, and that power play goal against St. Louis is what tied the game. That can make a big world of difference there, too. It can be huge, If yeah. you kill off a penalty versus allowing a power play goal to happen, of what it does for the momentum swing mentally and everything, too. And, again, it's been discussed how many times on threads on social media – about the the mental attitude and everything like that. It's like, look, the, no team in hockey in the NHL is going to go undefeated. It doesn't happen. 82 games. They're not going to go undefeated. And, yes, it was great to have those win streaks for them, but a team can learn a lot, like what you were saying. A team mm-hmm. can learn a lot from losing games. They can learn a lot. And if I'm not trying to put it in here that you you want them to get a losing streak out of the way whenever they can – but here is some adversity for them to face as well because they've been doing so well. Now they're facing a different type of adversity when they've had leads in games. They lost against a team they absolutely should have dominated in Buffalo, mm-hmm. who was on their fifth string goaltender. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and you allow them to win 4-1 to one at home. And then you have to sit back after that game and you have to evaluate. Right. You have to say, where did we let this go so wrong because of all Early. the teams <laughs> – this should not have been the team. Should not have been one. That was a full-on trap. Like you said, it gives you that opportunity to correct 
where you went wrong early on. You're halfway through the season. And they kind of did against yeah. Boston. I mean, they yep. didn't look awful against Boston. They got a point yeah. out of Boston. It was in Boston as well, too. And Boston's a very tough team They're to tough. play against. Yep. So now you have a string of games coming up. Obviously, Winnipeg is always going to be a tough one because the Jets and then Detroit, the upstart Detroit mm-hmm. Red Wings. Seattle's one of those ones that it's be- should be a you better find a way to win that game. Mm-hmm. One of those. Edmonton, who's reeling right now, you know, with uh, their pissy players. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that uh, in the last segment. We have to. Uh, but it's about how they're going to, to rebound from the adversity, too. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm curious about seeing is in these next few games to close up the month. Because they're going to have... More games in February than they originally were going to, Yep. Uh, thanks to the reschedules happening. But it's going to be how they control themselves with this, and, and can they rebound from it. And we've seen little tweaks here and there, but you know one of the things, too, is that Nashville's not one of those teams that's supposed to be losing at home much. They just aren't. Very true. The home record is supposed to be absolutely phenomenal. For them to have two home losses in a span of five days, mm-hmm. or six days, not necessarily something that you know they – are okay with <laughs> so winnipeg detroit two more home games here it's going to be big and saturday is going to be a huge day in nashville i mean a huge sports day in nashville so you know there's going to be some people that are going to be at the titans game mm-hmm. and going right into the breads game it's just there's gonna be going an energy there i there's think there'll be an energy there for sure there will be a certain type of energy and you know there's been so much great crossover between the teams in the mm-hmm. city from the titans to nashville sc to the predators of them all supporting each other too it's going to be one of those days in downtown. There's going to be a buzz around yeah. Nashville. And the players have talked about how infectious oh, yeah. that is for them on game day. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I think if you're going to have a, a day like Saturday, they needed it after the last few. Oh, gosh, so, yeah. So it's coming at a good time for this team. It is. It is. Before I have to go to, to our break, if you have not seen it, the Predators, all those games that got postponed in uh, November and December, they've been rescheduled. And a bunch of them are in February. In fact, one, two, three, four, five are in February. Five of the seven have been rescheduled. One of them was a Saturday, April 2nd game against Washington that got rescheduled for February 15th. So some interesting takes there, but there's going to be some still breaks because of the Bridgestone Arena schedule and other team schedules as well, too. There's going to be like a five-day days off for the Predators. So this is good in terms of just getting healthy because it is going to be a haul to close out the season for so many of these teams are just looking at how many back-to-backs. There's even a already scheduled in. There's a home back-to-back. It is not that often, mm-hmm. unless you want to include last season, where there was always back-to-backs. Yeah. Not that often when you have two home games in back-to-back days. And a Tuesday, Thursday, sure. But a Saturday, Sunday? <laughs> it's a lot. They're packed in. They're packed in. and Shortest that's month of the year. <laughs> the, the big concern there is going to be you know health and safety of the players because mm-hmm. that is going to be a lot of of brutal body hits their 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 bodies are going to take so much yeah in these games that that's where health is going to be very important when they have a few of these extra days off taking care of themselves you know they're probably not going to practice near as much as they were before early in the season so they're just going to be rolling with it and mm-hmm. you want them to have things figured out by then and also you're going to have all this beat up going on right heading into the playoffs so utilizing your depth is going to be extremely important and that's what we've seen overall just with Players going on COVID protocol and injuries happening. The Predators have shown they do have some depth, which is key. Very, very key. Okay, up next, uh, for the rest of the show, we're going to have uh, Drew Mendel of Illegal Curve to talk about the, the, the Jets out of Winnipeg. And then after that, Max Hurst 
here of 1025 The Game, who made his NHL debut, filling in for the great Pete Weber. Going to have him on just to talk about that experience, what it was like calling the National Predators game. So, Drew Mendel, Legal Curve, talking Winnipeg Jets up next. Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Jared taking care of us. And now, you know, it, it feels a little weird still talking about the Jets because last season didn't happen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was always about talking about Predators and Jets and intense rivals in the Central Division. So excited to be talking about the Jets again and to, to welcome uh, good friends, Illegal Curve Hockey. You've done back and forth as well, just being on each other's show, so it's awesome. We have uh, Drew Mendel joining us from Illegal Curve. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to join you guys. You know how much I love Penalty Box Radio, and like you said, uh, uh, you join us, Justin, so uh, quid pro quo means i got to join you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> I love your energy to being here. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, got to start off strong. <laughs> absolutely. So it, it has been, it, it seems like it's been so long since we continually talk Predators and Jets and everything, too. What's going on in Winnipeg? What's new? How, how's it going on with the interim head coach? And just, I know it's been a while, but how much did that news affect Winnipeg Jets fans and how surprised were they? And how do you see how this team has kind of recovered from that announcement when it happened? Well, I mean, I think really the, it boils down to it was the writing was on the wall. You could just see that, uh, you know, there wasn't, you know, Paul Maurice had tried all the tricks that he had left to try and get this team where they needed to be. You know, and they just weren't responding anymore. And it's just probably a function of coaches having shelf life. Doesn't mean that he's, uh, that doesn't mean that he's a bad coach. Doesn't mean that he's a great coach. It was just a function of, it had just hit a wall here in Winnipeg. And I think it was really truly a situation of, uh, you know, you can't fire me. I'm going to quit. Cause had they, you know, he quit on a Friday and the Jets were playing the Washington Capitals that night and had the results been a negative one and all the writing on the, was on the wall that it was likely to be a negative one he probably wouldn't have made it through the weekend anyway so uh you know i don't know if it was a combination or what the, the specifics to the conversation were behind the scenes but uh, you know when the announcement came out there was sort of the initial shock of it and then it quickly became okay yeah it was clear that this was uh this was coming to an end the team just wasn't responding to him anymore and you know when the coach you know you get they brought in all this new talent, especially on the on the blue line with Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon in the offseason, and everyone thought that uh, the sky was going to be the limit for the Jets in what appeared at that time. Uh, a lot of people were putting them in the same breath as the Colorado Avalanche at the top of the division. And for a while there this season, the Jets started 9-3-3, three, and three, and then they went into a tailspin, and nothing Paul Maurice could do uh, could get them out of that tailspin. So it turned out that he had to go as the Jets head coach. Now Dave Lowry comes in as the interim head coach, and it's been the results have been better than 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 not, but it's been so start and stop because of COVID protocol and everything mm-hmm. up here. I mean, the Jets, you know, it basically seemed like they were playing a, one game every week for a while there. So the schedule has been so weird. I mean, that's almost the only word you can use for it. Is it's just been so weird because they go, you know, a week and they play once, like they played. They played Colorado two Thursdays ago, and then they didn't play again for another week until they played Detroit. Now they're in the midst of a four-game road trip, which is a little bit more normalcy. But Dave Lowry has had success, but he's also, it's also been very intermittent. It's been sporadic. The team hasn't been able to sort of generate any momentum or get into any, any of a routine. And so I think with this four-game road trip that the Jets are on right now, you're going to be able to start to see what this Winnipeg Jets team really is moving forward. 
And we know all about a message just not getting through with uh, what happened with Peter Laviolette here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a relatable series, and that's been just the thing that's happened throughout careers for so many coaches. The message just gets lost, even if they're they're not a bad coach, right? So, and then lo- looking at this too, I mean, looking at the calendar and looking at the Jets' schedule, and you see just the big break that happened at the end of December of just no games being played, basically going on a winter break, like like with the schools, yeah. uh, and then just all road games here. What what do you think that does for just the the mentality of the team, and what has it been like for Winnipeg Jets fans to just not have a home game to go to? Well, I mean, uh, they you know they didn't have a home game because they weren't going to be allowed to attend it because of right. some uh, attendance restrictions we've had. Now next week the Jets are playing at home to the Canucks and to the Florida Panthers. Those will be the first row uh, first home games uh, really since uh, you know I guess there was a Sunday afternoon game. December the 19th. That would be the last home game the Jets had against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you know, COVID was uh, was not a big problem. Omicron wasn't a big problem in Winnipeg at that point in time, so they had full attendance. Now they're going to play two home games next week in front of 250 people, and then we'll see come February what the attendance numbers are going to look like. Hopefully, maybe they'll be able to get a few more fans in the building. That would be certainly nice because uh, I think we're all sick and nobody wants to go back to seeing the empty arena action that we saw uh, last year during the you know during the, the the heart of COVID. For Dave Lowry, it's been really interesting because how often does a coach come in and basically have an entire training camp in which to put his stamp on the team? So that is uh, really a, an advantage that an interim or a mid-season coaching change you never see. Normally that coach comes in, maybe gets a practice or two before uh, the team gets right back into the meat of their schedule. So it's been very unusual here. The results, like I said, have been better than not for the most part. They've had more wins under Dave Lowry uh, than than they had, you know, uh, I guess on average uh, with Paul Maurice, you know, so far this year. But they're, you know, it's it's they got to get into that routine. They got to get into that rhythm to sort of see if it's if it's smoke and mirrors or if they're truly going to climb back into a very competitive Central Division playoff race. And right now, it's just the wild card would be the only thing that's within striking distance of the Jets. And Drew, digging into this lineup just a little bit, Ehlers just got back to the game after being on COVID protocol. Now he's out after a knee-on-knee injury that happened against Washington. Obviously, this is a huge blow to him, but also to this team where he is currently tied for third in scoring. So what is a loss like this for this lineup? And is there any player in particular in your mind that you think might step up to the plate, might get an opportunity to kind of show some depth in this roster? There's nobody that's going to be able to step in and replicate what Nikolai Ehlers does. Nikolai Ehlers is, is a very unique player for the Winnipeg Jets, just in the sense that he's a zone entry uh, machine. He's, there's nobody on the Jets team that probably can consistently carry the puck into the opposition zone and establish possession in the opposition zone as easily and as seamlessly as Nikolai Ehlers does. So in that sense, it's a huge loss for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you know, a guy like Cole Perfetti, uh, is going to get probably a, 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 an extended look in the Jets' top six. He had his first career NHL goal uh, last night in Washington, and he hasn't looked out of place. He's been playing on a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor, and the three of them have just looked really well together. I mean, Connor and Dubois have been the Jets' best two forwards all season long, and Perfetti, uh, you know, learning from those two guys and is sort of able to do his thing, I think that line will stick together going forward. Now, Blake Wheeler has been out of the Jets lineup since a game in Vancouver back in December. He's set to return, probably not tomorrow, unless something uh, drastically changes, but he might return this weekend when the Jets play a back-to-back 
in uh, in Boston and Pittsburgh. So Wheeler, who's not the same Wheeler that he was three, four, five years ago, but is still a player that the Jets can definitely use because the depth forwards for the Jets have been tested over the last little while as a result of injury, as a result of COVID protocol. Some guys that you didn't really expect to see them in Jets uniforms this year have been getting that opportunity. Guys like Christian Reichel, who played a big role for the Manitoba Moose, Austin Pagansky, who won an NCAA championship uh, with the University of North Dakota, not far from here in Winnipeg a number of years ago, but has really sort of been a journeyman uh, NHL player, a tweener between the AHL and the NHL. He's got some time in the Jets lineup in the last few games. Guys like that have been able to get in, and they've actually been able to make a, a pretty decent impact, but the Jets need you know, their best players to be in the lineup as much as possible and to really make uh, to really that top six to carry the team going forward. And switching gears to the organization as a whole, the Jets have joined Project 11, which is a mental health awareness program that's available to the Manitoba teachers um, through grade eight in efforts to just raise awareness about mental health. And that's something that we here at Penalty Box Radio are incredibly passionate about, especially in the sports industry. Um, so I'd love to see a team that's become so involved. They're, they they they're not only wanting to start the conversation, but they're also wanting to continue to contribute to it because they've committed throughout the rest of January um, to do this. So just overall, what does that say about this organization as a whole who is not only committed to you know showing their support for just one game and a couple of tweets, but actually committing to the conversation for the rest of the month? Well, Project 11 is probably one of the most significant things this organization has done, and it started uh, you know, the, the 11 in Project 11 is, is in honor of Rick Rippon. Now, when the Jets moved uh, from Atlanta to Winnipeg, uh, they signed Rick Rippon uh, as an unrestricted free agent, if I recall correctly. He had played in Winnipeg for the Manitoba Moose, uh, and then he went to Vancouver because I think he was a Canucks draft pick. This is going back, you know, 11, 12 years ago now, so my memory might be a little foggy. And then, uh, tragically, Rick Rippon took his own life right before the Jets' inaugural season back here in Winnipeg. So and and uh, Rick Rippon and Craig Heisinger, uh, who's a key member of the Winnipeg Jets front office, uh, were very close. And there's, I mean, I'm sure it's on YouTube or I'm sure it's online. You can see the relationship in the documentary that the Jets made uh, about Rick Rippon and about Project Eleven and how that's sort of a lasting legacy uh, to him. So the Jets have been at the forefront of mental health awareness and mental health initiatives, uh, you know, long before sort of the hockey talks. Uh, campaign is, is going on league-wide. So the Jets get uh, full credit. True North organization gets full credit for their commitment to that because, as you said, it's a hugely important uh, uh, thing for an organization to do. Probably, you know, no matter what they ever do on the ice, their legacy and the impact of something like Project 11 will resonate uh, a lot more. And if it saves one life, well, you, you know how worth it a program like that would be. That's awesome. That's incredible. And just like you said, legacy uh, off the ice is just incredible there too well well drew we do we do have to go and we appreciate you helping us cover all things winnipeg jets i mean a very very in-depth uh, update there on what's going on in winnipeg and going to be an interesting matchup as the predators are on that losing streak right now too and the and the Jets just haven't played near as much but but they've got some quality wins as well since then uh, i'm trying to reel back from from what happened against colorado too so it's going to be an interesting divisional matchup and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Uh, at least I made a good impression on your audience because if they find out that I'm wearing my University of Kentucky t-shirt right now, which I am, they may not love me as much after that. I'm a huge Kentucky fan, 
So my apologies to everyone in your audience who's uh, maybe a Vandy alum, like Willie Donick. I know is a Vandy alum. So my apologies to Willie and everybody else uh, uh, for my Kentucky fandom. Oh, no problem. There are plenty of Kentucky fans in Nashville. It's a, it's a very transient SEC city, that's for sure. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks so much for it. All right. Thanks, Drew. Folks, uh, Drew Mendel, Illegal Curve Hockey, they do a fantastic job covering the Winnipeg Jets, who the Predators are facing uh, tomorrow at Bridgestone Arena. So if you want to get caught up on everything there, just follow Illegal Curve Hockey. He's at IC Drew uh, as well. Okay, up next, Max Hers made his debut, his NHL debut, calling two Predators games uh, in, in relief of Pete Weber, who was out uh, on COVID protocol. And so we're going to have Max Hers joining us next to talk about that experience. Penalty Boxer at ESPN, 1 and 2 5 the game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Jared taking care of us. He's doing a fantastic job taking care of us as well. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Before we get on to Max, uh, if you listen to the last segment, uh, Drew Mendel from Winnipeg had to declare his Kentucky basketball fandom. And so I already messaged him about what a gem that was. He's like, it's not every day that a radio host in Winnipeg gets to declare their UK fandom on Nashville radio. <laughs> so I had to jump on the opportunity. You have to take every chance that you're given. And I love that he did that. <laughs> had to take every chance. Now, from UK basketball to Vanderbilt basketball and more, uh, Max Hers, who is you know well-known here at 102.5 The Game, but also made his NHL debut uh, doing radio play-by-play for the Natural Predators last week in relief of Pete Weber. He's joining us right now. Max, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Uh, long time no talk. Glenn especially. <laughs> I know. Justin, mar- married man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate He's that. He's looking very married now. <laughs> Have that glow. How did, you guys, how did you guys not have Alex as a guest this week to talk about the wedding or Gover or somebody? Oh, gosh. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll have to get to that because Gover, I'm sure, does have plenty of stories <laughs> with how he prepared. I was like, here's what you're going to have to do to officiate the wedding. Good luck. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Max, I mean, Max and I go pretty pretty good back, uh, pretty far back. I mean, he, he's... He produced for us as well here at Penalty Box Radio uh, and also did play-by-play calling Vanderbilt hockey games with Penalty Box Radio too. And that seems like it's so long ago. I, I, it feels like it's only a couple of years, but it's been a while since you called those games, Max. I mean, that yep. was – and those were awesome. I know you got really busy and everything too, but what was that like calling those college hockey games, especially club college hockey games here in Nashville? Oh, uh, it was so fun. And I – I mean, that was a lot of those were my sophomore year of college, so 2014, 2015 winter. And at that point, I hadn't done a play, ton of play by play period. I was really just getting started <laughs> with Vanderbilt soccer and a couple of other things with the student radio station at Vandy. But those games were so fun because I had just kind of my, my relationship with Vandy hockey started my freshman year, like the first week. <clears throat> excuse me, they have like the big club fair where mm-hmm. every club on campus just puts out a table and all those club sports teams were there and it was like oh Vanderbilt hockey and I was like well I don't play hockey but I like hockey and I'm (laughs) planning on working with the sports teams here like can I get somebody's number and come help out like I I don't even know what I had in mind but I ended up running the scoreboard and keeping the book for a lot of the games my freshman year and a combination of you Pat and Fuquay and Zach were calling those games at the time, and I got to fill in for a couple when uh, Zach and Patton were both out of town, and 
do a couple in some of the the tournaments when we had eight teams at Ford Ice. The mm-hmm. literal first year that Ford Ice Center was open, right? <laughs> um, which was so fun to to see that from the beginning, and it was so great. Yeah, I, I was really good friends with a lot of the guys on the team, and still am to this day. And a couple of them were texting me and hitting me up after last week, and I got to tell them you played in the last hockey game I announced. So. <laughs> Well, and so so folks don't even realize, I mean, yeah, that was the last hockey game you announced, but I mean, so many other sports uh, you've done as well, too. So the talent's always been there. It's been just great, great to see your come up uh, from that as well with all your experience. But I want to make sure that if they didn't hear it, that the listeners <laughs> hear your call, though, your, the, the big call uh, against Colorado. Roman Yossi enters the zone to the right side, Ryan Johansson. Four on three for the Preds. Johansson to Yossi. To the left side, Mikhail Granlin. Johansson's in front. One-timer by Yossi. Rebound scores! Preds win! Matt Duchesne with the game-winning goal! Not a lot of glitz and glamour on that power play. Get it back to Roman Yossi and let him bombs away. The shot gets blocked, but it goes right on to Duchesne's stick. And Duchesne slams it in the back of the net for the win. So, Max, that was a pretty incredible goal call. And for your first NHL game, you get to call an overtime winner in a playoff-like atmosphere. What was running through your mind? Uh, The adrenaline rush was unbelievable. And I I was just worried about if anything going too fast, which I don't think I did. Maybe I did it at times kind of in like back-and-forth segments, but... Once the puck was in play, I just kind of was in my natural cadence, which uh, listening back to it the next day and a couple more times since, listening to the whole game back a couple of times since, um, it felt great. Um, I was really pleased with how I did. I was fortunate that the two games I did were in the order they were in, I think, just because I knew the Avs much better than I knew the Sabres as the average neutral hockey fan would, I think. I mean, they're... Prepping for the Avs, there was really only one person on that team I couldn't really have told you everything about coming into the game. It was easy to learn names and numbers, and I think that just helped me in the first game, and obviously it helps that it's a great game, but it's not even that it was a close or high-scoring game that helped me. It's just that it was a game with a lot of action. Like, it didn't even have to be goals. It was a lot of offensive zone time for both teams. There wasn't a lot of build-up time. There wasn't a lot of hanging around in the neutral zone, which there ended up being a lot of on Thursday. So I got to kind of call two very different games, regardless of whether the Preds won them or they lost them, and they split them. So they were different in that manner, too. But, yeah, it was a hell of an adrenaline rush. The crowd size of 17,000, however many, fills up Bridgestone Arena was I'm 99% sure twice the size of any crowd of any game I'd done play-by-play for before, which was a neutral site Vandy women's basketball game against UConn at the Mohegan Sun Casino, which I think was in the 8,000-9,000 range in a 10,000-seat arena. So uh, the adrenaline rush was unbelievable. Hal was unbelievable. Everyone we work with at the station was unbelievable. And it was it was a dream come true Tuesday and then a dream come true again on Thursday. And Max, I just want to go back to the moment that you found out that you were going to be calling these games. In that moment, what did that feel like for you? And then also, did you have any pregame nerves? And if so, how did you handle those? Because this is obviously a huge moment. Yeah, I was I was not really nervous. I don't think that's the way I would describe it. 
I felt very well prepared, which when you go into calling a game not feeling prepared, you kind of you would almost feel more unprepared than anything else. Then I, I would never describe myself as nervous before a game. And, yeah, I, I felt well prepared more than anything else. It's much easier to research the Colorado Avalanche than it is, like, the UT Martin baseball team or some of the teams <laughs> that I've announced playing bandy. So, like, <laughs> like, I could – before I found out I was doing these games and that Pete had COVID, like, I could have told you plenty of things about Nathan McKinnon. Like, I know what to expect from Nathan McKinnon. I'm going to know who Nathan McKinnon is when he has the puck, and he's going to do some unbelievable things. So, just kind of um, – my goal really was to keep it as simple as possible, especially on radio as compared to TV – who has the puck, where's the puck, and not just who has the puck, what team has the puck, which in hockey you can kind of lose track of sometimes on radio because it goes back and forth so much. So possession was a big thing, and then the big thing beyond that was what zone is the puck in, just offensive zone, defensive zone, neutral zone. Uh, I tried to stay on top of those as best as I could, and I was really happy with how I was able to do that. And to your first question, I found out on Sunday – before the games on Tuesday and Thursday. So I actually got a text from Chase McCabe, the newly minted program director of 1025, who I had actually had a conversation with the previous week, basically saying like, hey, I, I know this has already been vocalized a little bit, but Chase had just taken over the position from Ryan Porth. And I said, like, I want to make sure, like, if there's a fill-in, I would love to be the person who does that. So he and Willie recommended me as the flagship station to – a couple of officials from the Predators, including one of whom that I had never met and uh, was was very trusting in Chase and Willie. He did not even feel the need to speak to me before giving Chase the okay to offer it to me. So both sides, the Preds and the station, were really trusting in me, and I felt great about it. Um, and there, there are a lot of teams that have had their AHL announcers fill in, and that's a no-brainer. But uh, thankfully for me, as you guys know, our AHL team is – not quite next door. I know you guys have Aaron on all the time. Um, I was fortunate in many respects to get the opportunity and to be trusted as a local person and uh, someone who, I don't know, there are a lot of people that could have been picked. So I was very fortunate. When you, and you killed it, man. I mean, you killed it. Uh, again, uh, Max Herz, a sports broadcaster reporter and producer for 125 The Game. You've also probably seen him on SEC Network Plus and My TV 30, Friday Night Rivals. I mean, he's been in the city for so long doing so much with sports but this is a huge huge step but what's one thing if you're to take away one thing you learned about this because it's one thing doing college and obviously doing all these different types of things but when you go to the pro level and everything too with with the heightened aspect of you know what the listenership is and doing it on radio like that what's one thing that you learned that maybe you didn't know about before especially because i know you produce a lot so you know the back end how that works and everything too but is there anything that stood out to you that you learned during these two games and this experience that maybe you didn't think about before that's a good question nothing really jumped out to me but I think the fact that I have been on the production end of these radio broadcasts a lot really did help me. And, and for anyone filling in, there's going to be multiple things you have to think about that you have to process that the person who does this every day doesn't really have to process because they know how it works. But for me, the format of the broadcast, when breaks happen, what things sound like, what goes where, uh, those things were, were pretty automatic for me just because I've been in the studio you guys are in right now editing highlights for – probably triple-digit games over the last four Preds seasons for Pete and Hal alongside 
Ian, Elijah, Ryan, Chase, whoever else is in there producing. So that was definitely helpful for me and I think was part of the case for me to do it as well. Um, at least I would like to think it was something that plays in my favor, and it definitely did as the game played out. But I'm trying to think as I talk about a good answer <laughs> to your question. And uh, I don't know, not, nothing huge is jumping out at me. I think just uh, I, I really feel like I didn't, I didn't want to bring too much information in. Like, I just brought in a sheet with everybody's name, jersey number, which I didn't really have to look at much, thankfully. Um, And if I did, that would have slowed me down. But just where they were from, number of NHL seasons for for guys who had been on previous teams, how many seasons they'd been on previous teams, and then basic goals, assists, points. And I didn't even end up using most of that. Like, (laughs) hockey radio is really just names, who has it, and where, and uh, I almost I almost gave too much background info at times by giving any at all. It, it's just so fast. And why why would I be the person providing filler when we have Hal to do that, who's as good as it gets to give legitimate in depth analysis of the game as he always does. You know, you make a good point there. That's what I was thinking too. It's like, well, Max knows because he produces. I mean, the the amount of knowledge that radio producers have when you know how to run the boards, I'm extremely jealous that I don't have that knowledge. Because having the knowledge of how it works behind the scenes helps with timing, helps with cadence, helps with so much, having that knowledge. So, I mean, it just goes to show, too, that for those that are listening, too, that have an interest in this, if you have an opportunity to intern or to run boards, take that because you learn so much that can go far in your career. Would you, would you agree with that assessment there, Max? Yeah, definitely. Uh, align yourself with a, a 24-7 week, week-long, year-round sports brand. Um, because there's been so much I've gotten to do at 102.5, uh, primarily with our team partners like the Predators and like Nashville SC and other places like that, whereas I'm the producer for a game, but then when somebody's needed to step up and do something, I'm mm-hmm. the first call. And I know what everything is supposed to sound like. I know what everything is supposed to look like. And just, just all around, it's great because, uh, and I've done this on the TV side too, like for, for games, I've official statted. I've been the associate producer for a lot of television broadcasts at Vandy. I've run the score bug. So I've seen a lot of these things from a lot of different angles. And doing stuff like that, too, is a great way for uh, people in sports media to, to make connections. Because I can walk up to anybody I want. Like, I can walk up to Pete Weber, which I did, by the way, the first time I ever <laughs> met him in 2014, and say, I'm a college broadcaster. Like, Let's shoot the breeze for a little, but it's Pete would talk to anybody. <laughs> right. He's the best. But, but the, the best way to, to cold meet people is to serve a legitimate function working with them. And when you're in a production role, you're able to, to not only speak to somebody, but also prove your value to them. And that sets you up for something like this. But uh, yeah, I, I love doing off air work. I really, really like it. Well, it's definitely set you up for success. So last question before I have to let you go, just because of all your work you've done with baseball as well, too. If you had to choose a walk-up song, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. I, I have some <laughs> written down. So the, the, the one I would use is probably not going to be a song you guys have heard of. But oh, no. um, I really like the intro of it. It's called Spaceships and Rockets. It's by Boz, who's one of my favorite rappers. And it's kind of like a remix of like a club song he did. Right. Um, so that that would be it, my hook. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't used to have one, but I've I've got a couple. You I also, I might it. use to, I might use some some Mac Miller too. There's some okay. Mac Miller beats I like, so it would probably be just like a hip hop hook or something like that, like ten fifteen seconds of it. 
All right. All right. That, that works. That that works. I know I'm not familiar with that, but now I'm going to have to go get familiar with can it. I, can I use the Monster Block song? That's my thing. <laughs> what a great way to end an interview. <laughs> Max, uh, we appreciate you joining us so much. Just thank, th- thank you for everything you've done for us as well, and congratulations on the opportunity, and hope it leads to more in the future for you. Yeah, and thank you to your guys listeners who may have listened last week i had a lot of preds fans tweet at me and follow me some of whom i've met but many of whom i haven't met and i imagine many of them are pbr listeners so thank you to see you guys and your crew as always absolutely absolutely well max hers everybody did a fantastic job you can follow him on twitter at max Hurst talks you're going to see and hear more of him in the future there's absolutely no doubt about that uh, has a great quick wit so much knowledge mm-hmm. about sports in general about so many different sports and that is going to go so far in, in yep. sports nowadays that call i mean his voice everything oh, yeah. that call was that gave you chills he did a great job absolutely okay up next we know plenty of questions came in just about the preds uh, about so many different types of things and all uh, about a certain uh, media interaction up in edmonton we're going to cover that up next penalty box radio espn 1025 the game and welcome back to penalty box radio espn 1025 the game justin bradford glenn blockwell producer jared taking care of us and uh, we're just gonna roll. We had plenty of questions. I love it. I I really appreciate our listeners because you provided so many questions and topics. Yep, and the engagement the on Twitter, the responses. We really appreciate it. Y'all do it every week. You nail it. All right. Well, let's go with this one. This one comes from uh, Doyle. Uh, granted, they've racked the shooting percentages for half a season, but how sustainable are the rates for Forsberg at twenty two point nine, Janot at nineteen point four, and Johansson at eighteen point six? Halfway through the season, I know Forsberg hasn't played as many games because injury and out on COVID protocol missed a few there. But and Johansson was out on COVID protocol for a couple as well. But halfway through the season is actually a pretty good instance of where these players are at shooting percentage wise. Mm-hmm. They can't necessarily, I don't think, maintain that high. But I can't see it dipping that far either yeah. because halfway through the season, overall forty-one games. Let's say that. Each of these guys have played at least 35 games. That's a good enough sample size to see where they're shooting at right now. And because the thing comes to shot quality, especially Johansson. <laughs> yeah, and it's enough of a sample size to show that this is not just a fluke. This is not just, oh, right. they're just on some hot streak. The skill and the talent is there. Right. But whether it's sustainable to stay that high, like you said, I don't really know that you can expect that out of most professional athletes because you're going to have those ebbs and flows, not just with the team, right. but a player individually as well. But the skill and the talent is still there for them to still hover around I think that. So. And Johansson yeah. doesn't shoot it as much either, so yeah. he can have a high shooting percentage because he doesn't take as many shots. So Very I think true. he's probably the one that's probably closest to being able to maintain it because he just doesn't shoot the puck as often as he probably could. And it's not a necessarily – I mean, it could be a better thing if you'd shoot him more because he'd probably put more pucks in. Uh, but he's a great setup guy, and that's what we've been seeing so far this season. Uh, this one comes from Brandy. How was the wedding? The, How was the wedding? Wedding was great. Tell us everything. No. <laughs> that was what I did when I first walked in today. <laughs> the, the wedding was great. We had some snow. Uh, pretty much everyone was able to make. It was a very, very, very small ceremony down in Columbia, uh, Tennessee, uh, at a, what was her family church. But it's Alex's family church, which is awesome uh, that her grandfather helped build a lot of things in this church. And uh, the cemetery there has plenty of uh, her, her mom's side buried there, too. So it was just really neat. We were the first wedding in that building since it got renovated into a venue. Oh, that's so special. 
very, very special. So that was really awesome. And especially all uh, the family ties on her side. That's special the family yep, ties on her side. That's huge. Uh, Jeremy K. Gover, the K stands for knowledge. We've heard plenty of times <laughs> on these airwaves. Uh, he actually officiated the wedding and he did a fantastic job as well and made us laugh, which was great too. Uh, and then a uh, good friend, Cameron Gumpy has been with me on, on podcast and penalty box radio. I uh, played, played the role of best man as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a fantastic wedding. Uh, Alex killed it on her, on her wedding vows. I just, well, she just showed me up completely and it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. That was her so, moment to shine. It was definitely her moment to shine. Okay. This one, uh, we have a couple questions regarding this, uh, DJ Burnside. Why are you so pissy? Uh, <laughs> regarding the question, uh, to Leon dry uh, And then this one comes from Johnny. Uh, What's the most awkward question you've ever witnessed being asked in person? Uh, I love the Montreal story still when they're um, <laughs> hung up on not muting themselves. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, during when the, the Weber Subban trade happened, there's a radio station out of Montreal that did not mute themselves on the, the call, the conference call, and so they just oh. shut it down. But I would say the most awkward question, and I love him. He, he's definitely one of my good friends, but Christopher Martel. <laughs> oh, gosh. And if you've heard this, you know where it's going. This was. At- <laughs> Leading up into an elimination game to where you had to win. And Chris asked Mike Fisher, so, so would you call this a must-win game? I do remember that now. Uh, the look that Fisher gave him. Yeah. Oh, it just hurts to think about. I would be so, so uncomfortable if I witnessed it happen. I would just, I would have to close my eyes. And Martel just watch. ran with it. He, he handled it like so a champ. But he's so good like that. He yeah. handled it like a champ. It was just one of those things like, oh, buddy. It was great, though. It that's, was great. that's a good one. Uh, okay. Uh, but, yes, the, the situation in Edmonton is really interesting. And I know lots of journalists have taken the side of the journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of fans have taken the side of Leon Dreisaitl. Here, here's what's been interesting is that during the pandemic, we're seeing so many interviews having to be conducted through Zoom to where you're not doing one-on-ones. You don't have your scrums where it's in person. So you can have some interactions uh, in person to be able to work things out. It's all digital, and you can't even see always the person that's asking you the question, especially on the player side. Like journalists, we can see the player, but they can't, they can't see us. We don't have our cameras on because uh, they were doing it for a little while but in Nashville, especially where we could go down and the players would be there at a table – and so we'd actually be seeing each other in person, which was a huge step in, in the right direction. But then, obviously, COVID, more COVID protocols came in and went back to like what it has been for the past two seasons, which is through Zoom. So everyone is hearing these interactions take place. And sometimes there are journalists that are that push to try to get something out for their story and everything, to try to dig down a little bit deeper. You wouldn't have this come out if it's a one-on-one where someone's asking after a practice some hard questions. I think both sides... I mean, more on you don't need me calling a player a pissy. There's other ways to to word a question to try to get something out or to express your frustration with not getting everything out there. But we have lost a lot of personal interaction right now too, and understandably so. But in the locker room, we be have the opportunity to be able to work things out and push for questions and and go from there. So that's that's one of the missed things right now too. And why we're seeing some of these interactions I think take place even more is because of that because it's digital and you you don't you're not able to you're see the person's that face. Human interaction. Yeah, you're lacking the human interactions. So I was very curious right there too. Uh, let's see. This one comes from Russell. Which member of the Preds is most likely to pull the dry saddle when talking to the media? Well, we're not a current member anymore. That definitely would have been James Neal. Yeah, I can see that. I can see the smirk too, the just or the side, the oh, little totally. side smile. Absolutely. I mean, he didn't really. Dry, that was the thing. Drysaddle didn't really say anything. No, no, he didn't. He was. Just, he just stayed quiet, and you had a look of like right. 
One word answer and I'm done. Right. Uh, <laughs> this one comes from Jonah. How does Glenn feel about the newest Dolly Parton track, Big Dreams and Faded Jeans? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question, Jonah. Um, I mean, Dolly does no wrong. Happy birthday, Dolly. Today is her day. Um, but, yeah, there's like a lyric in there that's like, don't know what to expect, but uh, what is it? I don't know what to expect. I'm a little scared, but what the heck? I love it. That's the motto to live by. And happy and birthday, Dolly Parton. Wrong. She is our, our, Parton, our Parton saint. Yeah, our Parton saint. Oh, God, that's good. <laughs> um, I think she's 76 today. She's incredible. The work that she's done just through philanthropy and taking care of just people throughout just, all over the world. I was about to say, people in general. People in the community. <laughs> people so, of the world. She what takes a, way, care a great of. way to end it. I'm sorry if we didn't get to all your questions. We do have to go. Uh, but thank you so much to our guests. Uh, thank you so much to Jared for taking care of us. And for Glenn Blackwell, this is Justin Bradford. Thank you so much for listening to Penalty Boxer here on ESPN 1025 The Game.